<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, everyone? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, which is my newest book, and The Inflammation Spectrum, and Ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, and there's lots of free resources there as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. All right. Let's get to today's guest. Her name is Dr. Lindsay Elmore. She is a board-certified pharmacist, functional medicine clinician, speaker, author, entrepreneur, and world-renowned wellness expert. She helps patients uncover true health through diet, exercise, meditation, sleep, and transformative self-assessment. She received her degree in chemistry from the University of Alabama, Birmingham, and a doctorate in pharmacy from the University of California, San Francisco. She completed her postdoctoral residency in general medicine at Princeton Baptist Medical Center and in ambulatory care at New Hanover Regional Medical Center. After realizing just how broken the allopathic medical system is, she decided to deviate from standard practice and pursue integrative options for her patients. And be sure to stay tuned through the whole conversation because at the end of the episode, I answer another one of your burning health questions in another Ask Me Anything. All right, let's jump into it, my friends. Let's learn about Dr. Lindsay Elmore's Art of Being Well. Lindsay Elmore, thank you so much for being on the pod. Hey, I'm excited to be here. I loved our conversation on your podcast. So for people that want to hear more, they have to check out your podcast, right? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's coming up in the next couple of weeks. It's been one of my favorite episodes because I love, I just love everything you stand for. This combination of 
it's not just food, it's how you live that Mm -hmm. really governs health and how much you care about yourself. So I'm here for it. And I was super grateful you came on the show and here we are. Thank you so much. All right, let's get into it. Your work. I want to start with metabolic dysfunction. It's a massive problem in our world today, but let's define it first for people that are new and it's kind of maybe a nebulous term for them. What is metabolic dysfunction? Why should they care about this? Well, when I think of metabolism, metabolism is your body's ability to take the food that you eat and transform it into usable cellular energy. So every cell in our body requires energy. And we have to be able to take our food and unlock the vitamins, the phytonutrients, the calories, all of the minerals that are in our food, we have to be able to unlock it and put it to work. Unfortunately, that system can break down anywhere along the chain. It can break down right from the very beginning. If we're not chewing our food enough, it breaks down when we don't have enough stomach acid. It breaks down when our gut is leaky. It breaks down when our cells can't uptake the nutrition that they need. It breaks down when we have aberrant hormonal signals where we've got too much cortisol, too much insulin, too much um, neurotransmitters where we're just in hyper overdrive all the time. So metabolism breaks down on very subtle levels all throughout the body. And so I think when people think about metabolic disease and metabolic syndrome, they think that they have to be fully diagnosed with diabetes or fully have hypertension or hyperlipidemia or a rip-roaring case of Hashimoto's or an autoimmune disorder that has been building over the course of years. But before you get to Parkinson's disease, you might have this chronic long-standing history of constipation. Before you get to Alzheimer's disease, you may have long-standing insulin resistance and eventually your brain has become insulin resistance. Before there's breast cancer, there can be long-standing problems in estrogen metabolism and estrogen detoxification. And so if we look at a study that came out of the University of North Carolina, 88% of Americans have at least one marker of metabolic dysfunction. And the problem is we're waiting until we have diabetes and hypertension and all of these grave diseases before we start just rolling back the clock and going, well, wait a minute, with my simple daily choices, I can help to heal on a very subtle level the insulin resistance, the chronic cortisol and chronic stress. Mm -hmm. We can ensure that we're getting the building blocks that we need out of the food so that our body can just optimally function so Mm -hmm. that we don't have these disorders in metabolism. Very well said. I mean, it's it's something that we see as clinicians so much. It's one of the reasons why I wrote Inflammation Spectrum is to get this information out there because it doesn't happen overnight. It is a full spectrum. So let's talk about these subtle signs. Let's talk about what are some signs that people may notice they're not diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. They don't have high blood pressure or some extreme thing. Maybe they do. And we want to educate you as well. 
But what about the other people on this continuum? What are some signs that people can maybe check in with themselves right now that could be good pointers that they are somewhere on that inflammation spectrum? One of the things I love to look at as a just really grounding, earthing, every single day sign is let's look at our circadian rhythms. Are you waking up in the morning and you're getting that jolt of energy right when you get out of bed because you've got appropriate levels of cortisol that are spiking in the morning, getting you going? Do you get tired at night when it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, when it is time where your brain has had a moment to shift into a more relaxed state. So looking at that, just very basic, do I wake up in the morning feeling good and do I get tired at night? Another subtle symptom is we have to look at our relationship to food because if we're waking up starving first thing in the morning, going through all day eating, and then eventually arriving in the evening, perhaps eating right up until bed, this can be a sign that we've got some problems in our ability to manage our blood sugars. Mm -hmm. And when we have an inability to manage blood sugar spikes and blood sugar dips, this is where we start to get into brain fog, into mood swings, into anxiety. Some people experience that just like lackadaisical, that anhedonia, just like, ugh, I don't want to do anything. Because when we're going through rapid cycles of high blood sugar and low blood sugar, it very much affects our mood. I think we also have to look at how we eat and then how our bowels move in response to how we eat. Because if we're eating slowly, eating intentionally, chewing, really putting some effort into extracting nutrition out of the food, we shouldn't see abnormal bowel movements. Bowel movements should be very well formed. In general, you know, according to Chinese medicine, they should be pretty well-timed throughout the day where you're waking up and you are eliminating because you have gone through all of the detoxification processes that are so beautiful mm -hmm. while we're asleep. That's another great marker of is your metabolism working well? Do you sleep through the night or are you waking up at two, three o'clock in the morning because your liver is screaming at you? Or are you waking up in the middle of the night multiple times to urinate, which could be a sign of chronically high blood sugar? So we can look at different different body systems to get these clues. But mm -hmm. the most important thing is you have to pay attention to them, yeah. you know, and, and we can use gadgets and devices if they help us to become more intentional. You know, mm -hmm. I, I recently did an experiment Earlier this year, I quit drinking alcohol for about three and a half months. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go back to drinking alcohol. Well, I sleep with a ring that monitors my heart rate variability. And I noticed that my heart rate gets spiked way up and my heart rate variability just goes in to the tank. Well, that's a sign right there that yeah. I am marching directly towards high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease. And so if you use gadgets, and devices, allow them to guide you back 
towards homeostasis. And we need celebration in our life. But when every single day becomes this constant, I eat for pleasure, I stay up late for pleasure, I intentionally abuse myself on a lot of levels because it's pleasurable, that's when we start to get into these cycles where we just mm-hmm. drive inflammation. We And when you drive inflammation, you drive problems in every single body system. Uh, so well said and great nuggets for people to check in with themselves. Two, a few things that came to my mind. The, do you use the aura ring? Is that what you're using? I try? do. Yeah, yeah. I use the aura ring. Yeah. Patients, I have patients that love it. You, I don't use it myself, but you get a lot of good information out of it. You know, I have been comparing and contrasting some of the devices out on the market that measure heart rate variability. Yeah. I wonder if an Apple Watch or a Whoop kind of gives you more information during the day. Mm-hmm. During the day, the Aura Ring measures your what they call your readiness score, which is a measure of basically how well you slept last night. And I like the fact that I get the heart rate variability throughout the night. I Mm -hmm. like the fact that it measures the different levels of sleep from light sleep to deep sleep. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea that it also helps you to kind of balance how much activity Mm -hmm. that you're doing. Because if you didn't sleep well, be kind to yourself that next day and don't try to run the marathon. Mm -hmm. So I like that. However, I have been seeing that with the Whoop, with the Apple Watch, you may get more information throughout the day about heart rate variability and overall heart rate during the waking hours, whereas the Aura Ring only does it at night. Got it. Could you explain for people that maybe are are new to that term of HRV, heart rate variability, just since we're talking about it? Yeah, so heart rate variability... You know, it from a scientific perspective, this is a measure of the distance between your heart beats because we think about, okay, 60 beats per minute, but mm-hmm. in reality, your heart is beating for 0.9 seconds and 0.85 seconds and then 11 seconds and 10 seconds and it averages out over time. So our heart rate variability, that distance between the beats is controlled by a very ancient part of our brain that is part of our survival complex. And it takes input from our fight or flight, our sympathetic nervous system, as well as our rest, digest, and have sex, our parasympathetic nervous system. So when we have chronic exposure to stress, it shrinks our heart rate variability. It makes us less able to rise to a challenge where we need to run really fast, but then we realize, oh, that threat is gone. And now my heart rate can come back to center. So heart rate variability is how quickly can your heart rate accelerate, but then how quickly can it come back to rest? And the higher that our heart rate variability, the more able our body is adapted to take on difficult exercises. And even more importantly, in my opinion, heart rate variability is also a measure of how quickly you can calm down Mm. after 
a stressor. My acupuncturist, when I told her I was working on my heart rate variability, she was like, oh, that makes me so happy because it's about concordance. It's about concordance in the body and concordance with the with what is surrounding us because so often we allow external stressors to govern our internal environment. And mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that we can learn is doesn't matter what the stress of the world is. We still can control the heartbeat, the breathing. We have intention that we can set over these very physiological markers Mm -hmm. that really, if we work on our heart rate variability and we have a really high heart rate variability, we have a long-term reduced risk of all kinds of metabolic problems, cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke, when the heart rate variability is very low and our heart is is not able to come back down to stillness and quiet, increased risk of diabetes, clear sign of inflammation, increased risk of obesity, and increased risk of psychiatric disorders like depression and anxiety. So if you're able to measure your heart rate variability and you start to notice when I eat this food or when I'm around this person or when I drink this alcohol or when the timing of my eating is too late at night and it messes up your resting state, Mm -hmm. that is a sign that you're walking straight towards metabolic disease when you don't have to be. Mm, Beautiful explanation. Electrolyte deficiencies or electrolyte imbalances can cause many symptoms throughout the body like headaches, migraines, cramps, fatigue, and weakness. Electrolytes also play a critical role in many other conditions, things that I see clinically like uh, people with uh, POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, brain and mental health, people that are nursing, breastfeeding, regulating your appetite crushing cravings, anybody that's struggling with hangriness or blood sugar roller coaster throughout the day, electrolytes can be such a supportive tool. Everyone needs electrolytes, basically, especially those that are eating cleaner, that are practicing intermittent fasting or extended fasting, or if you're physically active or you sweat a lot, electrolytes are needed. According to the FDA, over 70% of sodium in the United States diet is consumed from packaged and processed foods. And when you adopt a whole foods diet, you are eliminating processed foods and sodium from your diet. Now, I'm not recommending you reintroduce processed foods for the sodium, but not replacing the sodium can negatively impact your health and how you feel. That's why I love Element. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. I drink Element every day to support how I feel because I am consulting patients 11 hours a day. As you know, I need to stay sharp. I don't want any brain fog. I don't want any afternoon slump of energy. I want to feel freaking amazing. And Element is definitely in my toolbox of secret weapons. And as a member of our community, Element has a very special offer for you. You can claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash art of being well. 
Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash art of being well. Public Goods is the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of the premium essentials in one place with one beautifully streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products I love their cleaning products, especially. I love so much about public goods, but the cleaning products I use regularly at my home and at the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is really important. And what I love about public goods as well is that they ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives that are still common on many drug and grocery store shelves. They are committed to making their products super healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. See, how they work is that they use a membership model to keep costs low for us as consumers. And best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. I've worked out an awesome deal for my listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again. They are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash Will Cole or use code Will Cole at checkout. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash Will Cole to receive $15 off your first order. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am Divorced Not Dead. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said. Why do we put so much pressure on ourselves for the happily ever after? Does our love story really have to be one great lengthy novel, or can we be happy with a book of short but exciting love stories? I guess we'll find out on Divorced Not Dead. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey, so buckle up. Something that you touched upon earlier that I think people will get a lot out of is we mentioned acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine or TCM. You mentioned waking up at 2 a.m. and how that's connected to the liver. Can you explain that? I don't think a lot of people know that TCM idea and concept of organs being tied through the night. Absolutely. So throughout five-point acupuncture, which is what I have been a patient of. It was my first foray into alternative medicine. When I was my when I was a first-year pharmacy student, I tore my ACL, which eventually landed me in a chiropractor's office. And I mentioned to the chiropractor, hey, doc, I haven't slept in like a month. I think I may die. And she was like, oh, you need to go to the acupuncturist. So in five-point acupuncture, you divide the 
the year into five different seasons. And so we have spring, we have summer, we have late summer, which is a different season, fall and winter. We also divide the 24-hour clock into a what is called the traditional Chinese medicine body clock, where certain times of day can be more governed by different organ systems. And when we abide by this Chinese medicine clock, it helps to balance our activities throughout the day. So in Chinese medicine, let's just say we start at 7 a.m. Well, from 7 to 9 a.m., this is the time of the stomach. And so if you are not intermittent fasting or if, you, if you're ending your fast or if you're beginning your fast, excuse me, very early in the afternoon before 7 to 9 a.m., this stomach time, great time to absorb vitamins, great time to absorb healthy fats. Your body is primed because all night long, you've had nothing in your belly. And so your stomach is nice and empty. You've got that nice concentration of acid that as soon as you start smelling food and eating food and the saliva gets moving, you're going to generate even more stomach acid. So you can start by being in the stomach time we move throughout the day through body systems like the spleen. And the spleen is associated with mental capacity for being able to have that get up and go. And so that 9 to 11 a.m. time, like let's really work and be active. But as we start to move through the evening hours, we start to get into more restful and restorative. And we even have time that's our heart time from like 7 to 9 p.m. where we're physiologically built to send blood to our reproductive organs where we're more prone to socialize and to flirt and have fun, where we're able to find joy and find relaxation in human touch and massage. And so, and then my favorite time of day on the Chinese medicine clock, if Listeners, if you don't remember anything other than this, please remember this. The most restorative time that you can go to bed is during what is called the triple warmer time between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. So if you can get in bed around 9 p.m. and really maximize the time of the triple warmer, the triple warmer is so restorative for us because this is where our thyroid and adrenals recharge. This is where we are most active in our energy transfer as well as our temperature regulation. So this is where your body is actually primed to start cooling down so that you can get deeper and deeper sleep. And this is a time when we can be very active in our metabolism critical time of day to avoid eating. When we eat during this 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. time, 
our body gets completely distracted from all of the detoxification and the metabolism that can be taking place in the gut, in the liver. Body temperatures elevate because we're ramping up that digestive system, which is the fire system. If we think about Chinese medicine and traditional medicines in the chakra system, digestion is all there in that fire chakra. And so this triple warmer time can be a time of such relaxation, great time to read, great time to get off your phone, just turn it off. And then we start moving into our gallbladder. And then between this 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., this is when we get into the liver. This is when we see a lot of mid-nocturnal awakenings Mm -hmm. because if your liver is overwhelmed, it is going to wake you up at this time Mm -hmm. because it's like, okay, I I need you to poop. I need you to drink a glass of water. I need you to help me Mm -hmm. eliminate all of these different toxins that I have in that are just building up. And I think so often we approach detoxification from the wrong perspective. We start eating foods that are good for us. We drink a ton of green juice. We start slamming our body with detoxifying foods. But if the liver is congested and then ultimately between that 5 a.m. to 7 a.m., best possible time you can wake up because that's the large intestine time. Your body is ready to go on a brisk walk, which is going to stimulate that cortisol response, which is going to activate the bowels, which is going to encourage you to drink more water because you've just eliminated everything from the night before. And you can see that this traditional Chinese medicine clock lends itself really well towards this intuitive fasting that you teach so elegantly, which is get up, take a couple hours, then get going with breakfast. Stop eating, you know, five, six o'clock in the afternoon and give your body all the way through the night to Mm. rest, digest and restore and drain toxins and inflammation out of your body. Uh, you said that amazingly. Thank you. Thank you. I know so many people are going to repeat that <laughs> section so much. So let's go to uh, a few things that, that came to my mind. One is clinically, I, over the years, I can't tell you how many people that I've that do have that glass of wine or drinking at night and they know intuitively they're doing it too much for their body and they wake up between those lover hours. It's such a, it's amazing to me of science catching up with antiquity and us in the modern clinical world, seeing things that people in traditional Chinese medicine would have said for thousands of years. And we see this correlation. It's really, it never gets old for me to seeing that. Oh, traditional medicine never gets old because the lessons are timeless. You think about the Yellow Emperor's book that basically is the the first ever textbook of Chinese medicine. It is just as valid today as it was when it was written. And somebody's going to have to help me out. Was it a thousand years ago, 1500 years ago? You think about the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, the practice of yoga and the breath practices and the detoxification practices and the the concept of doing no harm to yourself or the environment around you 
it's just as valid today as it was when it was created. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is something I've talked about on social media. It is so adorable that people say that detoxification is a fad or that fasting is a fad or, you know, I have a long history with the use of essential oils and I have been told by physicians that I think essential oils are just good smelling placebos. And it's like, well, then why do human beings have like a 6,000 year history of using them for medicinal purposes that does not compute? You know, it's the same thing with sleep. People fight sleep in this modern day and age, and we take it as this badge of honor that I don't need to sleep. Yes, you do, friend. And if we didn't need to sleep, it would have evolved out of us for years and years. We wouldn't sleep anymore. If it wasn't so critical to our health and homeostasis, we would have stopped sleeping a long time ago. If food was not so critical to our homeostasis, we would have stopped eating. Mm -hmm. It's not worth the time of day when when you'd rather be here in this brain. But to land in the body is a key part of being healthy. And, you know, I'd like to touch on something else because whenever I talk about not drinking and truly abstaining from alcohol, which I go through cycles where I, you know, will go through months with not drinking and then I'll start back and then I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember why I stopped that in the first place. And then you go back to not doing it. But when you think about the way that science is, manipulated through multiple different interest groups. The research about alcohol is no different. Mm -hmm. Alcohol, the alcohol industry has funded research studies for many decades. And we've seen literature that comes out that's like one to two glasses of red wine. We've got this J-shaped curve where, you know, a little bit is good for you, too much is too bad. And where none is also like not so great for you. Most of these studies have been funded by industry and it's no different than the way tobacco industry has funded studies, the way sugar industry has funded studies, the way dairy industry has funded studies. And so we have to look at, I think, a much better marker than fully relying on science and publications and academia is rely on yourself. If you wake up in the morning after having one glass of wine that's so healthy for you (laughs) and you don't pop out of bed and you don't feel good and like all of a sudden you've got diarrhea and maybe you've got a slight headache until 10 or 11 a.m., maybe listen to that and honor that within you. My goodness. It's the truth. I, you t- when you're talking to people 11 hours a day, you see people holding on to these things because they're like, well, I could, my, they don't want to go there. They don't want to go there that it's not serving them. And we need to be honest with ourselves. If we want to feel better, sometimes we have to make decisions that we have to do something different to see something different. And that's going to be a catalyst for many people just hearing that. I've just Well, it's a radical choice to take yeah. care of yourself. It is completely outside of what we consider normal. Mm-hmm. You know, we have it's like you said on my show, we've normalized inflammatory foods. We have also just normalized inflammatory behaviors, inflammatory relationships. We have normalized stress. Yeah. 
And when we've normalized stress and not just mental stress, we've normalized living in a stressful place, eating stressful food, being around stressful people, (laughs) even wearing stressful clothing is so normalized. And when we normalize stress, we just throw the whole system out of balance. Right. We normalize and then we go an extra level and glamorize it too, which is even more (laughs) strange. What what do you mean by uncomfortable clothing, by stressful clothing? What what is that? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you think about the way, especially women are portrayed in Mm. the media where we are, I mean, I think about right now, you know, it's been 20 months since I've been on a stage, but I think about having to go to events with a pair of shoes that are going to just like collapse my feet, (laughs) reduce the amount of energy flow, actually cut off circulation (laughs) and having to like change shoes throughout the day. You even think about people who have chronic heartburn. One of the most common causes of heartburn is your pants are too tight. You know, that belt is too tight around your belly. Um, You think of the history that we have of physical bodily abuse through the use of corsets, through the Chinese practice of foot binding. We wear clothing to reach some sort of social standard Mm. instead of actually asking ourselves, how do I most feel comfortable? How do I really want to show up? How mm-hmm. can my clothing reflect the energy that I am mm-hmm. about to give someone? Because mm-hmm. we can dress in those ways. If you have a bright, bubbly personality, wear bright, bubbly clothes. It's going to reflect your inner self. If you are someone who's very gentle, very soft, Wear gentle and soft clothing that makes you feel at home in your body. Mm -hmm. If you're somebody who's got a very bold and dynamic personality, wear those bright colors, wear those chunky knits. If you're somebody like me, I am on or off. (laughs) And that is it. (laughs) I am. And so I do really well wearing black and white stripes and wearing very bold patterns. And it shows people what they can expect when I show up in a room, I'm either going to show up and be fully ready to go, Mm -hmm. or I'm going to show up and I'm going to be like, I'm just going to sit over here and be by myself for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yes, comfortable clothes are important because if you're constraining your organ systems with your, your clothing and constraining your breath, oh my gosh, if you're constraining your abdomen and you're driving your breath up into your upper chest, engaging those clavicles, shoulders are raising every time that you're breathing, you are driving the stress response 100% of the time all throughout the day. And breathing, if you're not breathing well, you're not living well. Reaching your intermittent fasting goals can be a challenge sometimes due to hunger, mental focus, a dip in energy, or emotional hanger. You know, hangry, right? It's hunger and angry's evil spawn. That's why I really am such a fan of the Fast Bar by El Nutra. It's the only bar scientifically formulated for intermittent fasting. 
It is non-GMO, it's gluten-free, it's made without soy or dairy, and it's plant-based protein. It's also very keto-friendly and can be incorporated into any intermittent fasting protocol or if you're keto or low-carb or plant-based, if you eat gluten-free or just a clean eating diet, it's very versatile in how you can use the Fast Bar. It's available in five different flavors. They have nuts and honey, which is really good, cacao chip, dark cocoa, lemon berry, and blueberry acai, something for everybody. It's available at Sprouts, at fastbar.com, on Amazon. Such a great tool. What I love about it is that it actually curbs your hunger without breaking your fasts. You can fast longer. It allows you to fast longer and keeps your body in a fasted state. Fastbar has the same impact on your blood sugar as water alone. Let me just repeat that. You can have a fast bar during your fast. It's not going to break your fast and it impacts your metabolism just as much as water alone, meaning you'll still be in the fasted state. Fast bar does not spike, raise, increase your blood sugar levels. It's similar to a water only fast and it makes your fast easier. Fast bar allows you to extend your fasting window, whether you're doing a 16-8, an 18-6, or you're doing an OMAD day, a one meal a day, whatever you're doing intermittent fasting wise, fast bar is a great tool to make your fast easier and more enjoyable. The benefits seen in a randomized control study in 105 adults after a 15 hour overnight fast, comparing the blood sugar or glucose and ketone results every hour for four hours in the fast bar group, breakfast group, and water fast group. Data is on file if you want to geek out on the research on this. Use code WILLCOLE for an additional 10% off the already discounted products at fastbar.com. Again, use code WILLCOLE for an additional 10% off the already discounted products at fastbar.com. Did you know that companies can claim their beef is grass-fed as long as it was fed grass at some point in its life. Oftentimes, the cows will be finished on grain, but are still marketed and labeled as grass-fed. And did you know that meat can be marked American-made as long as it was packaged in America? Meaning it could be flown in from anywhere around the world. And as long as it's packaged in the United States, it could be marked as if it was raised in the United States. Paleo Valley grass-fed beef sticks are the real deal. They are sourced from 100% grass-fed and grass-finished cows that are never fed grains or harmful antibiotics. And they come from small, family-owned farms right here in the USA. And what I also love about the grass-fed beef sticks from Paleo Valley is that you won't just get the clean protein and all the nutrient density in these products. But I, what I love about this is that they use a natural fermentation process that produces gut-friendly probiotics. So it is a way to support your gut health as well. If you've ever had a meat snack that upsets your stomach, it's likely due to the inflammatory side effects of an ingredient that they put in many beef sticks and beef products called encapsulated citric acid. Well, Paleo Valley does not use that. And they use a natural fermentation process that allows the beef to be preserved, but it's also very gut friendly and not inflammatory. Paleo Valley uses this process that's really great. I'm such a fan of it to support your gut health as well. 
head on over to paleovalley.com and enter code Dr. Will at checkout for 15% off your first order. Again, that's paleovalley.com, enter code Dr. Will for 15% off your first order. I, I love, honestly, I love all the flavors here, but if I had to pick, the jalapeno is so good and I love the teriyaki as well. Check them both out and all the other amazing flavors at paleovalley.com and enter code Dr. Will for 15% off your first order. What's a good way for people to see how healthy their breath is? How, how, how is their breathing? Is there anything that people can check in with themselves about? I think the number one thing is your mouth closed. Mm. If your mouth is closed while you are breathing, you are very far along compared to the average person. Mm. So why do we need to breathe through our nose? Number one, it's how our physiology was designed. Our nostrils function independently as well as synergistically to filter out pollutants, to warm the air, moisturize the air. They provide that sense of smell, which is critical. It's our Our most ancient sense, our sense of smell is more tied to our survival than our eyesight, our sense of hearing, our sense of touch, or our sense of taste. So our nose gives us sensory information about the safety and security of environment. And when babies are born, they're obligate nose breathers. So when you are born, you can only breathe through your nose. But children and adults, we become conditioned to breathe in and out of our mouth, which dries out our oral cavity. It dries out our pharyngeal cavity, making it harder to speak. Dry mouth equals more bacterial growth, equals more decay in our teeth. We need it also inflames our adenoids and our tonsils, super common causes of recurrent infections and surgeries mm-hmm. in young children. In young children, it changes the way that our mouth is built. And so when we are mouth breathing, we might also experience dry mouth, bad breath, dry and chapped lips. You may notice that all of a sudden your head is forward because you're constantly breathing through your mouth. And Mm. so if listeners are waking up in the middle of the night with their mouth gaping open, it sounds ridiculous, but tape your mouth shut at night. It is going to help you to get more restorative sleep and reduce your chronic stress Take an inventory of your mouth and your nose. As you are breathing, is your mouth closed? Is your tongue gently resting on the roof of your mouth, creating greater space in the back of the throat for airflow? Can you intentionally breathe into the lower abdomen and encourage the diaphragm to fall as you inhale and rise back up as you exhale? 
can you, you know, really take into account if you're using accessory muscles? These are the muscles of the rib cage and of the clavicles and of the trapezius. So if you're lifting the chest as you are breathing, you are engaging stress responses and you're also just wearing yourself out. If we look at someone who is at the end of life with COPD or heart failure, we notice a lot of breathing with these accessory muscles and it is exhausting mm-hmm. for the body. So first and foremost, simply keep your mouth closed while you are breathing. And that is going to reduce that risk of sleep apnea, which is going to help you get that better sleep, which is going to reduce the risk of metabolic disorders. And it's also going to help you to simply need less dental intervention over time. And as we know, dentistry is a huge source of toxins and they're not just fleeting toxins. They're toxins that get embedded into your jaws and gums for years and years to come. And Mm -hmm. so you know, find a holistic dentist who can really help you to minimize the amount of mercury amalgam and, you know, fluoride if you choose to use it or don't choose to use it. Just be sure that that you're paying attention to what's going in that mouth over time with your dental work. This has been so good. Are you ready for... A rapid fire time. I'm so excited. <laughs> You're going to inspire me to bring this back to my show. I haven't done it in months. And now I'm like, oh no, I can't wait to hear I, I know. I just, what things- your questions are. <laughs> yes, I'm excited about this. And you're one of the first people that I'm I'm doing this on. So, all right, let's go. If you okay. could choose one food to eat for survival, like you were out in the middle of the desert, you're on an island, what would that food be from a nutrient density standpoint? Oh, wow. From a nutrient density standpoint, my goodness. Okay, I've got to think of the things that really make me feel very fed, very nourished. (laughs) At first I was like, acai. And then I was like, (laughs) grass-fed butter. You know, okay, so all jokes aside- about survival, survival, yeah. From a survival point of view- There are no essential sugars. There are essential fats. I would probably go with a grass-fed butter, a really high-quality coconut oil. If I could be on a deserted island with coconut, I'm going to be in good shape because I got sunblock. I got something to eat. I've got coconut water. Okay, I'm going with coconut. Coconut is my choice. Good. I like that. All right. So now let's go to the completely other side of the spectrum. (laughs) If you had to eat one food the rest of your life, regardless of health, just purely on taste, what would that food be? Oh, I'm such a taco junkie. I love, I mean, like give me a fried shrimp taco with some slaw and some lime. Uh, Okay, I'm going tacos on this one. Yes. Fried fish, tacos, that's my jam. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. So good. Okay, what are two supplements that have been the biggest changers maybe in your life or even patients' lives, clients' lives as well? I, I, okay. Two of them, vitamin D. I think everybody needs a vitamin D supplement. Yeah. I mean, it's not glamorous. It's not like the, it's true, woo, it's, it, but it's so true. Just yeah. take a vitamin D supplement. The other one for me, 
is a methylsulfonyl methane supplement, okay. which is just plain basic. It's a sulfur donor and a yeah. methyl donor in your body. Going to help you to build glutathione. If you are still continuing to drink alcohol or maybe you go out and you eat not food that you're not used to on the regular, this can be something that can really help to restore that homeostasis, bring you back to normal. And the other thing I love about methane is we make it in our own bodies. So it's basically safe for everyone. It's, you know, children can take it, pregnant women can take it, mm -hmm. nursing women can take it, people of all ages can take it. So I love those two as just a baseline, Great. but there are 15 others that I could prattle <laughs> off that I also love. love well, thank you for that. That's great. Great. Two great ones. What is your favorite non-food, non-supplement wellness tool or biohack that you're into right now? Oh, breath work and meditation, just pranayama, totally pranayama. So, you know, being able to control the breath through anything and everything in life. And so I love pranayama. Basic, basic is called Samavritti. You try to make the beginning of the inhale, the same distance as the exhale, but then getting into those roaring lion's breath and mm -hmm. into the Kapalabhati's where you're really pumping the belly and getting all that energy out in a controlled sense. So you mm -hmm. can engage that fight or flight, but then you're like, and now I can come back to normal. So Breath that. work, if you can do 10 seconds today, do 10 seconds today and then do 11 seconds tomorrow. Is there a good just, resource that you recommend for people? Because you obviously are very well-trained in yoga practices. So what what's a good resource for people to get into this stuff? So into breath work yeah. specifically, honestly, I mean, it sounds really simple, but look it up online. There are yeah, like YouTube so videos. YouTube videos. There are so many blog articles. And I strongly encourage you show up at a yoga class or a meditation class because you can feel a little bit ridiculous if you're, you know, making deer mudra and putting it onto your third eye and you've never done that before. It can feel a little ridiculous. But when you do it in a collective, mm -hmm. it really can make you feel more at ease. But YouTube videos and just learn some basics. Learn the same breath. Learn maybe box breathing is a very simple one. Mm -hmm. And then you can move into more advanced pranayamas. But if all you do is wake up in the morning and spend a minute or two minutes breathing in through the nose, mm -hmm. and breathing out, through the nose, boom, you're a yogi. You practice pranayama <laughs> the same as the monks do up in the temple. Go for it. It's the small it. choices that add up. It's not the big stuff. You don't have to be an expert. Just breathe yeah. through your nose in and Good out. Stuff. That's it. Love it. What is one wellness myth you would like to dispel right here, right now? That there is a right way to eat, a right way to exercise, a right way to stress, a right way to have a relationship, a right way to live, a right body weight, a right set of that. There is no right answer. Right. If there were a magic bullet for health, we would all take it. But 
all we can do is look inside of ourselves and really take inventory. Does this food make me feel good? Mm. If it doesn't, it's not a good food for you. I remember back, I went to a wine tasting one time with this very well-renowned sommelier. And he said, do you want to know if it is good wine? You trust your taste buds. And that is like the key of health. You know, <laughs> do you know if this weighted blanket is good for you? Yeah. Trust your sleep pattern. Patterns. Do you know if eating this food is good for you or, it, you know, is running a 10K really good for you right now? Trust your body and listen to mm. it. So give up on the concept that there is a magic bullet and that you just haven't found the right doctor or you just haven't found the right, you know, the right way of eating. There is no right way. There is no wrong way. There's only your way that you do things and you are your best doctor. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> All right. So let's, I want to know this. What is one wellness brand, whether that be a food or a snack or a product that you've been really digging lately? Okay. I have to give a shout out to my friend, Trina. She's an RN who started a brand called Primal Life Organics. And it is the cleanest skincare. She has a phrase. She says, there is no cleaner skincare. Yeah. It is either clean or it is not. I am obsessed with her coffee serum, obsessed with the blueberry serum, earth cleanser, saponified coconut oils with all these clays. They're amazing. And then you know, I love Primal Life Organics and also my friend over at Wild Alabaster, ethically sourced intuitively chosen crystals to just decor your environment and make it a really sacred and beautiful space. So shout out to both of them. Love, love Primal it. Life Organics and love wild alabaster crystals as well. Wow. Thank you for that. It's great stuff. Okay. So if you could only choose, and I guess you probably answered that, but maybe let's go more specific in one specific skincare product, probably in your friend's line, but what would that be? What would that skincare product be? I mean, I am a moisture junkie. So way back in the day, I competed in Miss Alabama and in the pageant world, we say it is moisture, moisture, moisture. And so I love an oil-based serum, a moisturizer. I, I love oil. So body oils, face oils, hair oils. I am... I, Put the oil on the skin. All yeah, I love the things. It. I love it. What's your favorite oil on your skin? Do you have one that you like more than than others? You know, it kind of depends on what I'm going for. So if I'm looking for moisture, of course, I'm going to want a fatty oil, a coconut oil, almond oil, jojoba oil. But then I also love essential oils like um, mm -hmm. frankincense and lavender and cedar wood. If I'm putting oils on my scalp and I'm like kind of wanting to irritate my scalp a little bit, get that blood flow going, I might go for a rosemary essential oil or peppermint. Things like your citrus oils that have that fat busting capacity you know, putting grapefruit essential oil onto areas of cellulite or areas of excess fat. So lots of different oils all the Great time. Stuff. Awesome. Last one. What okay. is a book that you've read? It doesn't necessarily have to be health, but it could be in the last year that really has been inspirational for you. Oh, okay. So there is this one book. It's by David Michaels. It's called The Triumph of Doubt. And it 
is where I got the data that I spoke about today about alcohol industry funding of studies. And it really gave me so much history and so much understanding about how do we really discern what is good research, good science. And so this book goes through the discrepancies in research about concussions in the NFL, about whether or not alcohol is good for you, about how opioids came to be what they are and all of the mishandling with the FDA that happened in the labeling. It goes through how sugar came to be and how artificial sugars came to be this like safe alternative when Mm -hmm. really it was a mistake that happened in the lab is how we got aspartame. So it really puts into perspective because I think this past year has been this really tough debate between how much science do we quote believe in, which is not science at all. Science is the investigation of uncertainty and the incessant quest to be after what is all of that uncertainty. And so I I loved this book because it was a sobering reality that even among the best researchers, there's always bias. And it's important for us to acknowledge where our own internal biases are mm-hmm. so that we can become less dogmatic on a day-to-day basis and focus more on our own internal intuition. Man, this conversation has been rich. Dr. Elmore, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. I am such a huge fan of yours. Thank you for all the work that you do and thank you for having me on the show. If you want to learn more about Dr. Lindsay Elmore's work, you can check it all out at lindsayelmore.com. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Sean. Sean asks, what are some of the missed or overlooked factors on labs that you find? Great question, Sean. So as you know, in functional medicine, for people that are newer to this, I'm running more comprehensive labs, but I'm also interpreting labs using a thinner reference range, something called the functional range. That's where we get our name, functional medicine, because we're looking at where your body is functioning the best. Where does vibrant wellness reside? It's going to be in a tighter interval, in most cases, a tighter interval of numbers, uh, this X to Y interval with, within that larger reference range that you're going to see on conventional labs. So we look at the conventional reference ranges, but we're also looking at optimal, not just average, which is what the reference range is typically looking at um, from a conventional standpoint. So someone can be outside of the optimal range, but still within the lab's reference range. So I find a lot of things, to be honest with you, isn't even just running comprehensive labs. Yes, those are needed in many cases, but I'll tell you what, there are many conventional 
basic labs that can give you a lot of really important data that I see when I'm talking to patients online and they're showing me the labs they've had ran or if we're running the labs for them, we are getting a lot from just regular old labs by looking at it through a functional medicine lens. So when I'm looking at the thyroid hormone, that's a great example. You see many cases that are subclinical in many ways is that they're not going to be outside the lab's reference range, but that's impacting how they feel. It's causing their weight gain. It's it's causing their hair loss. It's causing their brittle nails. It's, it's causing their digestive problems or their low sex drive. And it's being missed because it's the gray area, because health and health problems exist on a spectrum. And by the time somebody is outside of that reference range in the lab, researchers estimate it's about four to 10 years prior to that that official diagnosis when things were brewing on that inflammation spectrum that I write about. A lot of questions are answered when you just look at labs through the lens of optimal, not average. But I have to say, some of the most missed or overlooked factors on labs beyond just conventional labs are people that have chronic infections or stealth infections. These are things that really can trigger things like chronic fatigue syndrome, people that are struggling with different autoimmune issues. And the umbrella term of chronic infections or stealth infections that I'm referring to are things like Epstein-Barr virus, a reactivation of EBV, or other different types of viruses like cytomegalovirus, human herpes 6 virus. Uh, oftentimes, the reactivation of these viruses can trigger different inflammatory problems or chronic fatigue syndrome. But oftentimes, even upstream to those viruses are problems like mycotoxins or mold toxicity. I see that a lot. And that mycotoxicity is really what's perpetuating viral infection reactivation. And Lyme disease and Lyme disease co-infections needs to be looked at, not just through conventional Western blood tests, which we run, but running a more comprehensive test like Igenix or Armin that, that Lyme literate doctors like myself are really looking at more comprehensive panels for things that are oftentimes missed. So we're looking at a very broad, thorough perspective at Borrelia burgdorferi, but also Babesia bartonella co-infections are super common. So we have to look at that and other pathogens as well. There's other bacterial, other viral issues, other pathogens like parasites that can perpetuate these problems as well for, for my people, for my patients. So if I had to answer the question more directly, Sean, I would say that the most missed or overlooked factors would be, be these chronic infections. Because again, I'm dealing a lot with people uh, that have autoimmune problems and things like chronic fatigue syndrome and these inflammatory cascades that we have to deal with. So you have to deal with the upstream root, root issue to, to actually calm that inflammation and allow healing to occur. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday and I hope you will too. Talk soon.